right. Good morning, everybody. Let's give it up for the worship team. Come on. Wow, that, that was good. They did a great job with that song. That's a difficult song to sing. Um, so I'm, I, that was awesome. That was amazing. Um, it's Labor Day weekend, right? I would tell you, tell the person next to you, but there isn't anybody there. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and... <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. My name is Moises. I'm the associate pastor. And yes, you are stuck with me today. Some of you like that. Some of you don't. But that's all right. We're going to get through it. All right. Pastor Andrew is off on vacation today, uh, enjoying the holiday weekend. He's also, in the next few weeks, you're going to see me up here a little bit more than you're used to. He's also going to be taking a mini sabbatical uh, for a few weeks after that. So you're stuck with me. So hang on in there, okay? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping... That is the holiday that kept everybody out. You know what I'm saying? Not that I went on social media and said, hey, I'm speaking. Good, because I'm not going, right? So, and listen, before I get started, I got another bone to pick with our guy Landon. Wherever you are, Landon, don't take this personal, but take it personal, all right? The answer to the question on your note sheets is not Pastor Moises, okay? I think the placing on that was a little off, you know, like when they were getting the note sheets ready this past Friday, they're like, what are you going to be talking about, bro? Like, who's the king, Pastor Moises? Like, that just, that just doesn't, that doesn't sound right. So we should have probably flipped that around a little different, right? Maybe more spaces in between, right? So no, that, that's not, we'll be answering that question as the message develops, okay? So that's not, I am not the king. No, I'm not the king. I'm not the king. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Can we get started? Yeah, we should get started before I keep going, right? Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you just prepare our hearts? Uh, speak to us. You know the void inside of every heart here today, Lord. You know what you have in store for us. Before we even came here this morning, you had a word for us. So would you just speak through me, Lord? Whatever you have in mind, whatever you have, whatever your purpose is for us today, Lord, let us leave this place changed forever. Touch us in a way that would change our lives this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys ready? You know I'm going to be excited, so you can either jump on that train or just fall asleep. You know, it's going to happen. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking uh, through the extraordinary life of David. We can find the full record of that life starting, uh, extending from 1 Samuel chapter 16 all the way to 1 Kings chapter 2. So what happens is Saul becomes king of Israel, the first king of Israel, as a result of the people's demand for a human king. They actually said, and they used the, these are their words, they said, we want to be like the other nations. All right? Comparison, right? The beginning of discontentment. But very quickly, Saul shows us that he was spiritually unfit to fill the role according to God's expectation. And the role that, and in that same reason, God ends up rejecting Saul. Now, David is God's next choice as his representative as king in this story and was anointed by the prophet Samuel. He was a humble man that refused to stand against Saul and his authority or even take the throne by force or rebellion when he had the opportunity to actually do so. It's, it's very, we can learn a lot from his character and what he does through this story and how he has this opportunity. He instead 
leaves his promotion up to God. Some of us can learn a little bit from that. In fact, in the contrary, we read that he constantly ends up hiding from Saul. So instead of David pursuing his purpose, chasing Saul down, he ends up hiding from him because Saul's jealousy continues to chase him down. Ultimately, Jesus himself will be born from this line of David, but from forgotten to forever was not a steady ascent upward, right? Instead, it was a roller coaster of ups and downs, victories and defeats for David. Did you know that the whole entire story of 1 Samuel, starting with the birth of Samuel himself to the death of Saul, which is what we're going to get into, accomplished a total of over a hundred, over almost a hundred years in length. And then in 2 Samuel, when David becomes king, it only covers 40 years. So think of this. Imagine yourself knowing where you're supposed to go, what your destiny in life is, and having to wait almost a hundred years to see it accomplished. Opportunity after opportunity, and somehow he didn't know the direction on how to get there. How, how did David do it, man? How, how does a guy that was told by God exactly what he was going to become, exactly what he was going to do, what he was supposed to be a part of, just sit there for years upon years upon years upon years and wait and waited and waited and waited. Julianne Kopecki was a 17-year-old girl on a flight on Christmas Eve on 1971 with her mom and about 90 other passengers. Then lightning struck her plane, causing severe damage to the aircraft. The aircraft ends up crashing in a Peruvian jungle she wakes up, still strapped to her seat, bruised up, beat up, broken collarbone by herself, but kind of unharmed in a way after living through an airplane crash, right? She spends about a day in the airplane hiding, kind of covering himself from the rain in the jungle. And eventually she realizes, if I stay here, nobody's going to see me, nobody's going to rescue me. So in the, in the midst of this awful circumstance or this situation, Julianne remembers two things her father told her. Downhill is water, and where there's water, there's people. So in the middle of this disoriented moment that she's having, she chooses to be guided by the two principles her father taught her. Follow me here. She then starts walking downhill. She finds water, finds people, and 11 days later, walks into civilization. Twelve people landed in a similar spot, decided to stay hidden beneath the canopy and ride it out. All 12 of them ended up dying. She survived. How did she do it? In the midst of a problematic moment, right, she held on to the two principles that her dad gave her, right? When we think of, of, of David's life and how, how did he bear this much time in a relationship with God, our principles have to be evident. It's the only thing that's going to keep you going. It's the only thing that's going to help you survive. And what better example than that than David? Even through the ups and downs of his life, one thing he knew for sure is that God was with him. 
And we see that constantly evident in his life. So he hangs on to that for almost a hundred years, allowing God to really guide him, right? You see it, right? God's constantly with David in his defeat to Goliath. God was with him. When he was being haunted by Saul, God was with him. Right? In that reality, he writes these powerful words that we find in Psalms 23, 4, where he says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Right? You know, in this roller coaster ride, David understood that the secret to his success was that God was by his side. He was very careful not to do anything to cause the Lord to move from his side. This is one of the reasons why he wouldn't take Saul's life when he had the opportunity and he was fully justified to do so. Many of us would have taken Saul's life if given the option. And I know that sounds drastic, like, oh, Moises, you're talking about us killing somebody? No, no, right? You would, we would have done it, especially if it had to do with us fulfilling our purpose. Or the things that God has told us we're meant to accomplish. But this morning, I want to kind of dive into the final chapter of the book of 1 Samuel and talk a little bit about what happened there and then get into a few chapters of, of 2 Samuel um, so we could kind of see finally when David, David gets crowned king of Israel. But like everything else he experienced in his life, as we discussed this morning, you're going to see that it wasn't a smooth transition as you would think it would be. What takes place in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel is that we finally see the death of King Saul, right? We would all read this and think the book is over, right? Saul died, so they live happily ever after. It's time for David to be king. It's time for him to take over. Pretty simple. There's nothing to figure out, right? And instead, the new series of Game of Thrones gets released. You guys didn't watch that show. Stop. <laughs> Wrong crowd. So in this death, we assume, right, that we finally are going to get some clarity for David's life. Finally, David is going to get another victory, but the one that he's been longing for and has been promised to him. But instead, we are left with the question, who is the king? And that is not Moses. <laughs> This is going to kill my whole sermon. I, I don't even know where to go from here. <laughs> we have to talk about something else. Enjoy the holiday. Goodbye. No, just... <laughs> All right, settle down, everybody. I like, Victor, that you call me the young pastor. <laughs> In the battle with the Philistines, three of Saul's sons are killed, including Jonathan's, David's best friend. And I'm going to kind of take you through the story very, I'm going to kind of summarize the whole thing. Saul was badly wounded, so he requested that his armor bearer kill him. So that the Philistines wouldn't, wouldn't capture him and torture him. So he asked him, but the guy refused. So Saul fell on his own sword and died. What we see in 2 Samuel chapter 1 is pretty much David is just honoring and mourning the death of Saul and Jonathan. Very interesting to see that you can't go wrong with honoring people, right? It always returns back hundredfold. That's not a point I have here, but think about it. Saul, he was honoring Saul, you know? Many of us would have taken this opportunity to capitalize 
on that, right? On what was rightfully ours at that moment. We would have walked into that moment and said, this is it, right? This is the moment. We encounter opportunities in life and look past them. For, we hardly do we ever look at opportunities in life and look past them for the benefit of other people. We always look for the benefit of, of our own sake, right? We simply look and say, you know, how does this affect me? How is this going to satisfy me? How is this going to help me? And we live our lives in that constant circle. We make statements like, God is looking out for me today. His grace has been poured over me, and it's my time. Get, David could have celebrated the death of Saul, and nobody would oppose him after everything that he went through. If David would have said, oh, thank God he's dead, everybody would have been okay with it. I don't think, I don't think not one person would have said, hey, man, he just died too soon, bro. Right? God, David could have said that God was avenging him, but instead he wept and mourned the death of the king. That speaks to his loyalty and character in a moment like this. And kind of leads me to my first point. Point number one, life must be about more than just what we could gain from a situation. Right? Um, as Christians, we proclaim God's grace and favor over our lives, which is good. But life is not all about what we gain from it. Dallas Willard said this, and this is, this is really good. He said, grace does not oppose effort, it opposes gain. Many times we wonder why we know so little about God's plan with the, for our lives. And the reality and the simple reality of that is we wouldn't know what to do with that information. You wouldn't know how to react. We would constantly hit ourselves in the face with the wall by one little segment of information about our future or our destiny or what God has in store, we could end up hurting ourselves pretty bad, right? There's a reason why I hide the shaving blade from my son Sebastian, right? It'll be a useful tool in the future for my son, something he's going to need very much so. But if he gets it too early, he'll hurt himself. It's the same thing with the plan of our lives. It's going to be good for you. Oh, what a blessing. It's going to be amazing for your life. But if you get it too soon, you're going to hurt yourself. You're not going to know how to react. It's like prayer, right? We, we look at it as prayer, and I, I, I've heard this said, that it, it, prayer, God is either going to give us what we ask for or give us the things we would ask for if we knew what he knew. Seriously, it, it would change the way we talk to God. In this case, David knew his rightful place, but listen to what, what he does. You, would you think that after Saul's dead, death, you, would you think that David would need to, to know from God what needed to be done? But li listen what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. After this, David asked the Lord, we could probably preach the whole sermon on that. Should I move back to one of the towns of Judah? Obviously, yes, the Lord replied, right? And then again, then David asked, which town should I go to? To Hebron, the Lord answered. You, you would think 
in one verse, David has the opportunity to make a decision on something that he already knew about his life. And instead, he chooses to ask God. Wow, guys, this is... To me, things seem so clear after the death of Saul. The next step was not unclear, but even in the obvious things, David seeks the Lord. Could that be a principle that we could apply to our lives? It's hard to say. We get so focused on knowing and not asking that we forget to seek. Right? Proverbs 3.6 says, seek his will in all you do. Right? And he will show you which path to take. Our biggest problem as believers is that we have found a way to marry clarity with gain, and therefore we run. All right? We run. Just running. We take hints of purpose and make movies of them. Right? And in this process, we end up missing the big picture from God in one way or another. You know? David takes the specific instruction from God. He and his men leave Siklag and head over to Hebron and and Judah. And in verse 4 of the chapter, we see David getting anointed to become king over Judah. Later on, the same verse, Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, is proclaimed as king of Israel. So now you have David, and you have this son of Saul. David is king over Judah, and then you have this son of Saul that now is king of Israel. You're like, wait a minute. If you're David, you're thrown off by this. So you're like, I've waited 100 years for this, right? Now I'm being sent to some town. I'm like half king right now. This guy's the king of Israel, another son that I have to deal with, right? But we read no verse where David looked up to heaven and said, God, what's up, man? Demanding any kind of explanation. No, instead he stays the course. Trusting his God to be with him. To know what is best for him. Right? And this leads me to, the, to, to my next point this morning. Uh, it's probably one of the most redundant points I'm going to say, but it's so true. God's will is about timing. So now David becomes king of Judah. Right? So what happens is, is David, David was king for a total of of 40 years, okay, after the 100-year wait. So 2 Samuel goes through this 40-year period. He is king of Judah for another seven and a half years, okay? He's still waiting. Almost 100 years went by. Saul dies. Who is king? No one knows because he's still waiting seven and a half years, okay? Now, we know because it's in the Scripture, right? But you know what I mean. 2 Samuel 3.1 says this, and this is shocking here. That was the beginning of a long war. Say it with me, long war. Man, who wants to hear those words? After you've been waiting a hundred years for your purpose, for your calling, a long war takes on. Come on, man. How much more do I have to wait? The words in here, I highlighted them in, in, my, in my thing here. A long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those who were loyal to David breaks out. 
and the next few words of this verse, as time passed. David became stronger and stronger while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. You know, the, the buildup to his kingship lasted almost 100 years, and now we become, now he's become half king, and the, the, the beginning of a long war starts. And after, you know, after waiting that long, the word long is the last thing you want to hear, or the statement, as time passes, the last statement you want to be used on your story. We have become people of the now. That's a problem. It's really been the downfall of our society. We can't wait. The world, the church, the communities are full of impatient people. Let me ask you, we'll, we'll try this out. Who in this room is impatient? Right? Who are we kidding? I'm impatient. I'm up here, I'm getting ready to tell you some stuff, and I'm like, I should like say it like this. You could tell by how I act, right? I move around. I'm just the most impatient person, right? Waiting for what? You know? I heard a pastor say this, and it's so true, though. It hit home for me. He said, every, every, everything today is fast, 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 but what I have realized is that every time I'm headed somewhere fast is usually to become someone I don't want to be. Think about it for a second. Let us sit there for a second. When you're rushing somewhere, do you like it? That person that you are? How you think? What you say? The outcome of what takes place? You're rushing. So you got to get something done. Something happened. What does that person look like? Do you like it? Does that pe person think straight? The things that that person says, are they good? Right? But we're in this world, right? This is the world of now. Busy, 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 busy. Right? And you might not have big sin in your life, but you've heard it say, right? If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Right? So I wrote this statement, and I'm going to stick with it. Christians are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritual rich lives. I don't think God intended for us to be this way. I don't think that was the goal, to be honest. When the son was responsible for setting, setting up our rhythms of work and rest, it did so under God's control. But the clock is under the control of the employer, which is a far more demanding master. We, we, we stopped listening to our bodies and started rising when our alarms told us to. Not when our bodies were done resting, but when that sound went off. Right? I always use the, the, the illustration of the phone. When I was in, in, in the work world, I, I, always, I always thought my phone, right? I said, wow, I could check my email on my phone. Game changer. Because I thought, I'm going to have more time to myself. I'll be able to just quickly check my email, get it out the way, and I'm good. Efficiency to the next level, Right? Something that's supposed to be for my benefit. The employer said one day, here, I'll give you a phone. Right? And I said, that's a sweet deal. I went home, babe. 50 bucks a month. 
What are we going to do with it? Right? They're paying my phone bill. We don't got to worry about it. And then the demand started. Right? Why, why haven't you checked your emails? I need you to be on call. Right? And something that was supposed to be for my benefit, that I was super excited about when I got it, became a more demanding master over my life. That's just one example. You know, I, our, our Declaration of Independence from the Sun was finalized in 1879 when the Edison bulb came out. We could now work past sunset. We could just keep working. You're not going to dictate when I work. I'm going to turn on these lights and keep going. Second shift, third shift. Just We're independent of the sun. It, it sounds silly, and I'm not here trying to change history, but I want you to realize what we kind of have done to ourselves in a way, right? There's pros and cons to everything. Did you know that before the Edison bulb, the average time of sleep in a person's life was 11 hours? Right? So you, you think, you, as a preacher, you always look at these amazing men of God that write books and say, I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I prayed for God for two hours, and I would think to myself, like, what is wrong with me? I can't do that. Right? When am I going to be able to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning? But you realize that when those guys were in it, they were going to bed at 7? <laughs> you follow me? We are doing this to ourselves. 35% of all adults in the U.S. report sleeping on average less than 7 hours per night. Almost 50% of all Americans say that they feel sleepy during the day between three to seven days a week. Who feels sleepy right now? There it is. There it is. Who needs studies? I mean, you can just throw it out right here. Right? Something has gone terribly wrong here. The success in a person's life is now measured by how busy they are. When you're, put, when you're watching a commercial, you don't watch a person resting at home. No, they're in a conference room meeting, drinking coffee, walking down the sidewalk, going to work with the briefcase. That's what you see. Sorry, guys, in the camera. I'll stand still. They tell me I can't, I can't move. So... So, it's measured by how busy we are. In one generation, Sunday evolved from a day of rest and worship to a day to buy more stuff that we don't need, to run errands, to eat out, or, or just to get a jump start to our week. Man, we lost more than a day of rest. We lost a day for our souls to open up to God. I understand that the day of rest was created for our benefit. That's what the Bible says. I get it. You know? But man, is being busier really our benefit? Is doing more really our benefit? Yeah, you may be accomplishing more. I get it. But is that the goal? Do you feel better? Right? I mean, uh, 
Gandhi said that there, there's more to life than increasing its speed. Um, slow down, man. T telling me, like, I'm, I'm like, on this, like, rage in my house. I'm literally, like, I get home, I, I throw a cell phone. I, I don't know if I to, as a pastor that I'm supposed to do that. I, I think I'm supposed to be around myself when it gets something that happens. So what I do is that, like, every hour I just come by it and, like, Oop, nothing. And I run away from it again. Literally, just sit there. I don't, I'm not trying to do anything different. I'm sitting there. You know? My wife is like, you all right? Yep. <laughs> because I know who I, how I am, right? And you can see it. You can see it in our call for our lives. It says, the Bible says that with time, David became stronger and Saul became weaker. Right? We're rushing and rushing and rushing. Trying to become somebody we don't want to be. Slow down. You're like, Moises, I'm not as hype as you are. I get it. But I guarantee you, you still rush. And usually, for the most part, most of the time, it's to become someone we don't want to be. I don't like that person that I'm rushing to be. Do you? I don't think none of us do. I don't think none of us do. And, and, and my third point, and it kind of leads me to, it's like a, like a sub-point of what we're talking about. I said, God doesn't want your help. He wants you to obey your obedience. A series of events take place here on the story that we're, we're kind of uh, reviewing this morning. And, but that king that opposed David also ends up dying, okay? As they become weaker and things just kind of play out, they end up dying. So in 2 Samuel 4, 8 to 12, it says, when they arrived at Hebron, they presented Ishbosheth's head to David. Look, they exclaimed to, king, to the king, here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of your enemy Saul, who tried to kill you. Today the Lord has given me, given my Lord the king, revenge on Saul and his entire family. But David said to, to Rechab and, and Bena, the Lord who saved me, from all my enemies is my witness. Someone once told me Saul is dead, thinking he was going to bring me good news. But I seized him and killed him at Siklag. That's the reward I gave him for his news. How much more should I reward evil men who have killed an innocent man in his own house and his own bed? Shouldn't I told should I Shouldn't I hold you responsible for the blood and rid the earth of you? So David ordered his young men to kill them, and they did. They cut off their hands and their feet and hung their bodies beside the pool in Hebron. Then they looked at Ishbosheth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. You know, God wanted, to, God wanted David to be king of all Israel. David wanted to be king of all Israel. But God did not need anyone's help to speed that plan up. The same is true for our lives. God wants the things that he has in store for your life already. But he does not need your help. He does not need your friend's help. Right? These guys, though they were going, they, they thought they were going to impress David, but somehow thinking that they were going to speed up the timeline of David's kingship by bringing him in the head. Right? Not knowing that David could have done this himself twice before and refused to do so. Right? 
I'll tell you this morning, maybe you're not trying to speed up that timeline or rushing into anything, but there may be people around you that want you to. There may be people around you encouraging you to speed up the process, to make decisions, to turn here, to turn there. So whoever those influences are, sometimes they don't correlate with God. You know, one thing that, that frustrates me is that as people, we have become obsessed with encouragement. We're becoming obsessed with encouragement, right? Not that, you know, there's anything wrong with encouragement, all right? The problem with encouragement to me nowadays is how unrealistic it has become sometimes. You know, I was talking to somebody outside, and I always tell them that, you know, uh, my biggest critic is my wife, right? So she, what she'll do is she'll watch this sermon, and then she'll tell me all about it <laughs> the right way, <laughs> right? You know, when I, when I preach a sermon, there's three types of people, that, at least that I know of, right? There's those people that come up to me, and they're like, man, you're killing it. That was amazing, right? Then there's those people that don't say anything to me because they don't want to tell me the bad news. And then there's people that don't care, really, and they just walk away, and they're not thinking anything of it, right? So um, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I want people to be more honest with me, even if it hurts, right? It, it builds me. It, I don't like it. Don't get me wrong. If you come up to me and insult me or tell me something, I'm not going to be like, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, like, it's going to be uncomfortable, right? But sometimes it's much needed, right? We become so obsessed with encouragement, right? What if I told you this morning that your limitations aren't something to fight but something to be grateful to accept as a signpost of God's call on your soul? We're always looking for God's will and the good purpose in the things that we could accomplish, right? But what if, what if, what if, what if we also found God's will for our lives and our limitations? It's not something we want to hear, right? Limitations may be in your life there for a reason. They may be there for a reason. They're the things that probably keep you, you know, from doing certain things that you want to do or you want to accomplish, so why are we fighting them so much? You're like, wow, what kind of settlement teaching is that, right? No, we've, we've gone obsessed with things like, you got this. Stand up and fight, right? I could do all things, right? And that's what we want and constantly hit the wall and are burnt out beyond belief, right? And we don't know why. We keep swimming against the current of God's timeline, and you end up burnt out. But keep going. You got this. Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Being burned out, it, it's not a place that you, you visit and come back from. Being burned out could end up being your permanent residence. And that's something to be very careful with. All right? We should be more concerned about what God wants than where we're headed to next, than the next move, than the next decision, than the next thing we're getting ready to do, right? David did this thing the right way. He was patient with the process, and ultimately God elevated him to the king of Israel. In 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 5, it says, Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, 
We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. You will be Israel's le leader. So there at Hebron, David, King David, made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel. And, all the and, they, and they anointed him as king of Israel. David was 33 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 40 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months. And from Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. As I said at the beginning, God was with him. God was with David. And the secret sauce to his success was, we find it in 2 Samuel 5.10, where it says, And David became more and more powerful because the Lord of heaven's armies was with him. Was with him. That was his secret sauce, right? The same secret is available to us today, right? No matter what it looks like, God is with us. Don't doubt that for a moment. The timing may not seem right to you, but your life may be in a place where things have not fully developed, right? And you don't understand what is going on, and you can't kind of grasp everything that is taking place. But David kept asking God and not making obvious choices. It almost seems always like even when he asked God, God will take him backwards a little bit and put him back and put him back a little bit. But that's the point of following God. That's how it all works out. You know when I'm going to a crowd of people, and I have my three-year-old son with me, what's the one thing I asked him to do? To hold my hand. See, I'm not asking Sebastian to memorize where we're going. I'm not leaving him by himself so he can figure out how to dodge the people as we're walking. All I ask him, he has one responsibility. Hold my hand. I got you. That's it. Our Father in heaven is only asking us to hold his hand. He's not asking you to remember, to know, to make turns. He's simply asking you to hold on to his hand. He's going to guide you. You don't have to duck anything. Just hold my hand. If asked people, we could be content with that. And just know that our place in this relationship with God is simply to follow. We would be so much better off. Slow down and hold God's hand. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this moment this morning. You have given us the ability, Lord, to kind of take this story of David and just apply it personally into our lives, Lord. And I pray that whatever we have learned here today, we would put in practice in the week to come, Lord. Help us, Lord, to understand that you are with us. And if there's anyone here in the room today, Lord, that has a... a, a, a a desire to kind of do their own thing or, or, or they're foreseeing things before you call them to, would you give them conviction this morning, Lord? We want your will to be done. We want you to accomplish the full work that you have begun in our lives and do it so according to your purpose. God, thank you so much for speaking to us. Allow your spirit to minister to us as we continue on this long weekend, Lord. Help us, Lord, to not forget about you, to not let go of your hand, and to allow you to lead our lives in whatever you have in store. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.